I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and uh, we are so glad to have you uh, with us this morning for worship. We are very excited. If you're listening online, today we have no power in the room. That is right. The room is dark except for the flashlights on our phone. The recording probably sounds different because you're being, you're hearing me from a recording on my phone on a little table on the stage, but who is excited today to be starting a study of Galatians? I am so excited, and uh, I am genuinely thrilled about the start of this series. We were going to be in the book of Galatians, and if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to get it open, if you can read it, or if you can turn to it on your phone, um, the book of Galatians. It's in the New Testament, and it is uh, one of the epistles of Paul, and this morning, we are going to be studying the first 10 verses of this incredible book. Um, So I'll wait a second for you to get your Bibles out to the book of Galatians. And if you've got a guide, um, when you have the light enough to see it, um, you you will turn to week one and you will have the opportunity to see that this week we're going to be studying together. What I have titled this week's uh, sermon is Gospel Centrality. No other gospel. And that is the title of today's sermon. If you're taking notes, and like I said, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Um, The book of Galatians is absolutely amazing because it leads us to a deeper understanding and relationship with Jesus. Um, I don't know about you, but a lot of times when we hear the word gospel, right, when we talk about sharing the gospel, or studying the gospel. It is common uh, among Christian circles and among Christian churches to think that somehow the gospel is about getting into a relationship with Jesus, but then after we're already into a relationship with Jesus, that somehow we need to move on to more advanced things. In other words, we sometimes think that the gospel, like Tim Keller says, is like the ABCs of Christian doctrine, Instead of realizing that actually the gospel is the A to Z of Christian living. The gospel is not just about getting us into the kingdom of God. But the gospel is also about helping us live in the kingdom of God. In other words, it's about the start. It's about the middle and it's about the finish. And I will tell you this based on the the word of God. And we're going to study this all fall. But you need to recognize That the gospel is not something for beginners that we move on from. It is just not. The gospel is not something that is just for the start of our Christian life. And then we need to go more advanced things. No, the gospel is for us. For the start, the middle, and the finish. For all of our life, we are meant to be centered, rooted, grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is part of... It's, a, it's the biggest part of why Paul wrote this book to the churches of Galatia. It's very interesting that um, the, book, the book is all about the gospel, but who is it written to? Is it written to non-Christians or Christians? It's written to Christians. So all that Paul is pouring out about the gospel, you've got to remember that it's for Christians. It helps us to know that we desperately need to be rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have not finished understanding it nor experiencing it. And I don't believe you have either. We need more of gospel centrality in our life. And that's why I'm excited to study the book of Galatians. If you've got your Bible, we're going to read this morning verses 1 through 10 of the book of Galatians. Verses 1 through 10. And then we're going to look at it. We're going to study it together. This is so fun to do this in the dark. (laughs) Verse 1 starts, and he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is God's word. Gospel centrality is the name of today's message. No other gospel. The main point this morning, if you've got something to write with, or if you've got an opportunity to take notes on your phone, uh, you can do it in your book if you can see. If not, you can just do it in your phone. But the main point this morning is this. I'll try to read it slow and a couple of times. Because the gospel of God's grace is our only hope, we must treasure, protect, and prioritize it in our hearts and lives every day. Because the gospel of God's grace is our only hope, we must treasure, protect, and prioritize it in our hearts and lives every day. Y'all got it? Need it again? One person needs it again. We'll do it again. (laughs) Because the gospel of God's grace is our only hope, we must treasure, protect, and prioritize it in our hearts and lives every day. I want to walk through this passage and give you this morning three main points that I see from the passage. And each of these points will have some things that we talk about underneath, but... Because we don't have screens this morning, I'm going to try to do my best to verbally articulate and help you follow the organization of Paul's writing and also the organization of how I'm teaching it. Three main points, and then you're going to have sub-points under those points. Is that okay with everybody? All right. The first point is this. We know, um, before I get to the first point, I faked you out. We know that it is Paul. If you just look at verse 1, okay? I don't want to skip over some some things that are important for you to understand. We know that it is the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. He says, right at the beginning, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So we know this book is written by the Apostle Paul, the one who we learned from the book of Acts was radically saved, converted. Uh, He was totally transformed by the grace of Jesus. And we're actually going to hear more of Paul's testimony next week because he's going to share that with us in verse 11 and after. But we also know he's writing to the churches of the, the region of Galatia. And we know from the book of Acts chapter 14 and 15 that Paul planted these churches in Galatia, and I wrote some things in your guide at the beginning of the guide to help you know more about the book of Galatians, more of the context and the cultural settings. But we do know that Paul had planted these churches in his first missionary journey. So these are young churches, and this 
book is obviously uh, being written sometime before um, the Jerusalem council that we learn of in Acts 15. And so it's, it's being written to churches that he loves very much in a region where he went to at great risk of his own life to share the gospel with people. The gospel that had saved him, he wanted others to know. And he wanted to see churches planted, people coming together, just like we are together this morning and meeting together to to worship Jesus and to study uh, more about him. This is the context of the letter. So he's writing to this group of churches. And right out the bat, point number one, okay, here we are. Point number one is this. The gospel is all about God's grace. The gospel is all about God's grace. Grace. Right out from the gate with verse 3. As soon as he says who he is and who he's writing to, what does he say in verse 3? Look at your Bibles. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. He starts the book right out. First word, grace. And very interestingly, if you look at the very end of the book, chapter 6, verse 18, he also ends the book with the same emphasis on grace. Brothers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I will tell you that this is one of the major themes of this book, and it is the major theme of the book because it is the major theme of the gospel. Point number one, the gospel is all about God's grace. It's one of Paul's favorite terms. He uses it over 100 times in the New Testament. And the reason is because Paul can't get over and no person who truly knows the gospel can ever get over God's grace. The fact that from the beginning, Paul teaches us that God's favor, his salvation is free His love is free. His mercy is free. His provision is free. His promises are free. They are not based on our performance. They are based on His performance for us. And friends, that is grace. And we say we understand it. But if we are honest... Like the churches of Galatia, many times we find ourselves slipping from a pure understanding of the gospel. If you look at our daily lives, we can sometimes get this wrong. It is contrary to what feels normal that we have to work our way up to God. But God comes to to us and says, you don't work your way up to me. I work totally for you or it's nothing at all. It's all about his performance for us and not our performance for him. And Paul says from the gate, grace to you. This is the gospel. The gospel is all about God's grace. Now, I want to walk you through a couple of things. Under this, we're going to have a couple of points together under this point number one. Okay, Because I want to show you that from start to finish... Our opportunity for salvation is 100% God's doing. Okay? Paul wants you to see this. Number one. Okay, this is all under the header of point one. How we know the gospel is about grace. Number, or maybe I should say A, B, C, D for y'all. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Okay? I'm trying to, to work on my oral communication skills here. We'll do 1A. Okay, 1A is this, that it's all about God's planning. It's totally about God's planning. If you look back at your Bible, verse 3, grace and peace from who? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it is God's planning. God initiated our salvation. Grace and peace from God. And later he says, according to the will of, our, of God. See, the gospel is from God. Grace is from God. It is God's desire that you know Him and know Him by His grace. 
See, Paul, all of his crazy religious works before he was saved. I mean, he was a crazy religious person. If anybody had a religious pedigree, it was Paul. But his religious pedigree was no match for the good pleasure of God. God set him apart. God called him. God saved him. And he knew that it was all about grace. It was God's will to show Paul grace, not not our will. How cool is it that we do not deserve mercy first? We do not seek mercy first, but God seeks us first. God chooses to show us mercy first. God pursues us first. God takes the initiative. God's pleasure. Yes, God is pleased when we pursue him. But let me tell you, God's pleasure in us is his pursuit of us. God pleasures to pursue us and to show us his grace. Aren't you thankful for that? That the gospel is from God, that he takes the initiative and pursues us. Grace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1B. Not only is it God's planning, but it's also God's working. It's God's working. Look at verse 4. He says, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of of our God and Father. You see here, I'm pointing your attention here to verse 4. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, 3b, and then verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. It's not only about God's planning, God's initiative, But to understand the gospel and understand grace, you have to understand that from start to finish, all of the work, from start to finish, 100% of the work that is required for us to be made right with God was accomplished by Jesus Christ. You bring no work to the table. It's not about your work at all. It's all about the work of Jesus for you. We see here in verse 4, this is the core truth of the gospel, friends. Oh, friends, here in the dark, I wish you could see my face. (laughs) Oh, how I long for all of us to get this. Many of us are still struggling. Listen, salvation is not about what you or any man can do. Salvation is about what Christ has already done. He has already done it all. Everything necessary for our salvation. Look at verse 4 again. I love that we're going through a shorter book this time, not John. Because I can go deep into these verses and, and help you see some of these words. The word for, if you've got something, if you don't mind writing in your Bible or if you can use your guides, part of why we printed the, the text of Galatians and the guides is so you can mark it up. Circle the word for. The word for is very important. It's also used in 2.20 and in 3.13 of this same book. The word means, it speaks of being a substitute. It means that Jesus gave himself in the place of our sins. He gave himself as a substitute for, that's what it means, for our sins. Super important. Because what Paul is saying is, this is the heart of the gospel. God has done the work for us. Jesus gave his life in the place of you who deserve judgment because of your sin. Jesus took your place. This means that God's pleasure, friends, is not based on our performance. This is radically free. God's pleasure is not based on our performance, but on the performance of Christ. And Christ gave himself in the place of us for our sins. God is perfectly pleased with the work of Christ. And when we are in Christ and he is in us, God is pleased not because of our work, but because of his work for us. And this is why we call it grace. Amen? 
And when we add to this, we totally malign the gospel. We totally malign the gospel. And you see here also, heart of the gospel is understanding that we are helpless and lost. See, to to embrace the gospel, you have to embrace that you are broken and desperate and needy. Look at verse 4. Gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. In other words, he had to do this. He had to do this. He had to, to rescue us. We need rescue. Jesus didn't come to give us a second chance. Let me say this again. I hear this a lot and it drives me nuts. Jesus did not come to give us a second chance to get it right. Jesus came to do the work that's paid. Bear with me, I need a water bottle. Jesus did not come to give us a second chance to get it right. If that were the case, you would need not only a second chance, but a third and a fourth and a fifth and a five thousandth. Christ didn't come to give you another chance to work for God. Christ came because you can't do what's needed to be right with God. You are helpless and you need rescue. This is why anytime I hear, like over the summer, I heard this at some churches and I was deeply concerned. Anytime that we hear that Jesus came to be a good teacher or be a good example for us, I go, no. Jesus did not come to be a good teacher and example. Jesus came to be a rescuer. We don't need an example to follow. Although we can look to Christ as our example, but we do not primarily need an example. We need a savior. Other founders of religions came to teach and not to rescue. Jesus was a great teacher, but I'm telling you, as Paul opens up the gospel, he does not imply that it is possible that you can follow Christ's teachings to be saved. No, he says the only way to be saved is to know that Christ is a rescuer of those who are in helpless state. And Jesus gave himself for our sins. Praise God for his grace. One C. Not only is it God's planning and God's working, but it's also God's willing. God's willing is one C. Okay? Look back at your Bible, verse 4. He rescued us according to the will of our God and Father. According to the will of our God and Father. In other words, he's helping us see that Part of grace is to know that this is not our will, but it's God's will. Like he says in Romans chapter 9, verse 16, so it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. I've heard it said once that we were so bad that Jesus had to die, but God is so loving that Jesus was glad to die. I'm so thankful Like I told Carrie this morning before her baptism, oh, Carrie, I hope you know that God delights in you. Sometimes we don't like to accept that God would look upon us and actually choose us, delight in us, want us. But friends, when we resist that, we resist grace. The gospel of grace says that it's not about our performance, but about his. And it's also not about our desire, but about his He delights to show us mercy. It is God's will. It's about God's willing. I'm so thankful that it is about God's initiative, God's work, and God's will. And 1D, this is the last one, is this. Y'all are going to be in trouble today because I have no clock back there. (laughs) And the battery on my watch is not working. Praise the Lord. 1D is this, that it is all, it all is about, oh, I missed one. This is not the last one. There's five. This is the next last one. It's about God's calling. God's calling. Not only is it about God's planning, God's working, God's willing, but it's about God's calling. 
If you look at verse 1, he says, even about his own apostleship, it's not from men, but it's, or man, but it's through Jesus Christ. If you look down in verse 6, he talks about how we have been called into the grace of Christ. When we think of calling, we think of an initiative of God, God's sovereign power, and we respond to him. And I'm so thankful that God loves us so much that he reaches out and he calls us. He extends to us an invitation to know, trust, and follow him. And last but not least, this is one E now. We know that the gospel of God's grace is not only about God's planning, working, willing, and calling, but it's all for God's glory. It's for God's glory. If you look back at verse 5, he says, according to the will of God and Father, in verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever. You see, it's, if it's all God, then he's the only one that can get the credit and the glory for what he has done in our lives, right? If we had contributed anything of ourselves, if we had thought of it as our idea, if we were the one who had called out to rescue based on our own reasoning or understanding, or we could pat ourselves on the back then for what we contributed. But Paul says we didn't contribute anything. It's all God, which means it's all grace. And because it's all God and all grace, guess what? It all abounds to God's glory. God gets the glory for it for all, for all times. Tim Keller says this. This is the humbling truth that lies at the heart of Christianity. We love to be our own saviors. Our hearts love to manufacture glory for ourselves. So we find in messages of self-salvation extremely attractive, whether they are religious or secular. But the gospel comes and turns them all upside down. It says you are such a hopeless, in a, such a hopeless position that you need a rescue that has nothing to do with you at all. And then it says God in Jesus Christ provides a rescue which gives you far more than any false salvation in your heart may love to chase. I'm so thankful that we are, through the gospel, both brought lower and higher than we could ever imagine. Praise God! The gospel is all about grace. That's point number one. Y'all ready for number two? If you are, just raise up your lights. Okay, good. All right, right. Point number two is this. The gospel should not and cannot be revised. That's point number two. The gospel should not and cannot be revised. If you look back at your Bibles, I'm getting my point straight from the Bible, straight from Paul. Verse six, he says, very interestingly, You know, most of Paul's letters start with, oh, I'm so happy. You bring me so much joy when I think of you. I thank God in every remembrance of you. Verse 6, as soon as he gets done proclaiming the gospel of grace, he says, I am, what is the word? Astonished. Astonished. Circle it. Astonished. This is very different, and it sets the tone for the rest of the letter. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul is deeply burdened by something that's happening in the churches of Galatia. He is like a parent, you know, like when I see Caroline, uh, sometimes it makes me nervous. She plays in the kitchen and. Sometimes when Michelle's cooking, she'll get close to the stove and I'll say, watch out! You know, everybody knows that feeling, whether you're a kid or a parent yourself. Paul is basically going, whoa, like watch out, churches. I, I am shocked that it looks like you are like moving. It, it, the, the words here are, look at the Bible, verse 6, and I'm reading out English Standard Version. So quickly deserting him who called you. Circle that word deserting. 
The word deserting means to transfer one's allegiance. Anybody a college football fan or NFL fan? I'm wearing red today. You can't see it. Okay. I started it, and I'm going to finish it. I'm just going to move on. Um, I won't talk about the color I'm wearing, because I don't want this to get ugly. But I will say that many of you are passionate about your team. And this word, deserting, literally means like if you were passionate about your team, and then suddenly you went and took off your team's garment, and you put on your like greatest rival's garment, right? And you showed up to the game, and people would be like, what? You traitor? What in the world? How could you change teams like that? That's the word that Paul is using. Paul says, I am shocked, I'm burdened, I'm astonished that you are transferring your allegiance to a different gospel. See, what had happened here is, and we'll talk about this more as we go throughout the series, but one of the important things you need to know about the churches of Galatia is they have been influenced by a group called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers had come in and essentially they were saying, oh yeah, we believe in, that's good you believe in Jesus, but you need to make sure that you adhere to all of the Jewish religious Requirements and observances and practices too. It's good to believe in Jesus, but don't forget that you're a Jew and this came from Jewish background and here's all the other stuff that you need to do to be right with God too. And the problem is that if you begin to add anything to grace, you lose grace altogether. And this is why Paul is saying, I am shocked that you are taken off the garments of Christ, off his uniform, and trading it in for a works-based uniform. Are you kidding me? Let me tell you why this is so dangerous. Right? We're going to get into 2A now. If you, the header for these subpoints is this. If you turn from the gospel, then we're going to have a couple of subpoints. If you turn from the gospel, then... 2A is this. Paul says you turn from God himself. Look at the connection. Verse 6. Now they've turned from the gospel, but look at what he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting what? Him. Make a connection with an arrow. Deserting who? Him. Deserting him. In other words, what Paul is saying is that you are turning not only from the gospel, this set of doctrine, but this set of doctrine is about God. And you cannot disconnect the two. When you are turning toward a workspace thinking and a workspace salvation, you're turning from God of all grace. You are turning from Christ who gave himself For your sins to rescue you from this present evil age. You are turning from your Savior. You are turning from your only hope. Paul says, I am amazed that you are turning from your Redeemer. The only living, eternal, all-wonderful, all-sufficient God. Who is the fountain of all life and grace. I can't believe you would turn from, from Him. Which means, friends... We cannot say that we can hold on to God, but abandon the gospel. You cannot say, well, I don't like what the Bible says, but I really still want a relationship with God. You cannot say that you don't like the idea of your total sinfulness and inability to help yourself. The way that the Bible confronts us in all the particular places that says, no, this is sin. Like you cannot say you don't like having to accept the fact that you're sinful or like that Christ had to be punished in your place or like the necessity of, you don't like the necessity of repentance. That's so old school. Or faith. You know, it's more about just being a good person. 
You cannot reject those things and think that you can keep God. Because by rejecting the doctrines of the gospel, you are, what Paul says, deserting him who called you to be. If you turn from the gospel, another risk is this. To be, you turn from the grace of Jesus. You turn from the grace of Jesus. It says in verse 6, you're deserting him who called you in the grace. This is what I'm saying. Draw another arrow here. Not only are you deserting him, but you're deserting him who called you in grace. In the grace of Christ. So what he's saying is, salvation is not Jesus plus anything. It's just grace through Jesus alone. And what he's saying is, if you turn from the gospel... The message of God's grace for sinners. Do you really want to rely on a system of self-sufficiency? Like, do you really want that for yourself? Do you really want to rely on your own righteousness? Do, would you really like to rely on the, the record of your goodness versus Christ? So you can't have it both ways. If you turn from the gospel of God's grace alone through Christ alone, by our faith alone, if you turn from this, you are departing from an enjoyment of the never-ending fountain of God's grace. And you are going to be stuck with what you can muster up. Do you really want that? No. The hope of our lives is not our accomplishments, but what Christ has accomplished for us. Amen? Amen. To see. If you turn from the gospel, not only are you turning from God himself, turning from the grace of Jesus, but, but third, you have nowhere else to go. You have nowhere else to go. I get this from verse 6 and 7. He says, I am astonished that you're turning from God. You're turning from grace and are turning, he says, to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I want you to circle two words, different and another. In the Greek, these are two different words. The word that in our English Bible is translated different is the word heteros. And that means of a different kind. The word that means another is a word alas that means of the same kind. So what Paul is saying is that you are turning. See, they want you to think. That, that you're not abandoning the gospel. That it's just like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also have to do these things too. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't add to what Jesus has done. And if you do that, you are turning to a gospel of a different kind. In other words, it ceases to be the gospel at that point. But then he says, not that there is another gospel. In other words, he uses a word of the same kind. In other words, he says, there is no other good news for sinners other than the good news of what Christ has done in his work and grace alone. There's no other good news. There's no other way. It's all about the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. So what he says is, if you turn from the gospel, you have nowhere else to go. That's what Paul's saying. There is no other way. That's why Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Sometimes we listen to that and we're like, oh, that's harsh. It's very narrow, very narrow-minded. Yes, it is, but it is also the true message of salvation. There is no other way. It's the most inclusive, exclusive gospel ever. Because he says, come to me. Everyone who comes will be saved. But there is a, there's only one way to be saved. And that is through the work of Christ on your behalf. If you turn from the gospel, you are left with nowhere else to go. So what Paul says is the gospel cannot and should not be revised. Y'all got it? Yep. Number three, we land in the plane. Are you ready? I'm getting sweaty. I don't know if y'all are. The air is off in here. I'm, I'm having fun, but I'm sweaty. So careful if you go to hug me before we leave. 
Number three, I love God's word. Isn't it fun? Like, it's really fun. God's word is awesome. Number three, the gospel must be central in our lives at any cost. The gospel must maintain centrality in our lives at any cost. Based on what he has said, Paul wants us to know how crucial it is that we maintain gospel-centeredness in our hearts and lives. If you look at your Bibles, where we just finished up, Let's go back to verse 8, where we left off. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be, circle the word, accursed. Now, this is so important that Paul's about to repeat it in verse 9, and he's going to tell you he's repeating it. As we have said before, so now I say again, Here it is. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be, circle it again, accursed. Let him be accursed. He goes on. For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. We must maintain gospel centrality in our lives at any cost. 3A. I'm going to tell you why it's important. From Paul. 3A. Why gospel centrality is important. Here it is. 3A. It's important because of the reality of deceiving messages and messengers around us. The reality of deceiving messages and messengers around us. If you look back, he says in verse 8, or verse 9, excuse me, 8 and 9. Excuse me, I'm going back to verse 7. There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Do y'all see that? There are some, the two words connected to what these some are doing, they are troubling and distorting. They are causing confusion and they are leading you astray. There are some people in the day of the churches of Galatia who are doing those two things. And let me tell you this, there are some people today in Memphis, Tennessee, in America, in the world we live in, in 2018, that are doing the same thing. There are some who are troubling you and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. Throw things into confusion. Now, let me tell you this. This can be very helpful for you. False teachers don't usually walk around and introduce themselves. Hey, I'm a false teacher. When you see them on TV and they go across the stage, they don't typically get up and start with, what I'm about to tell you is totally not the gospel. (laughs) They often also are not stereotypical overweight people. They They do not have to be the religious nut, the weirdo. They don't have to be... Yeah, a lot of times when we think false teachers, we think, oh, that's old. That's old stuff, right? Huh. No. They're not old stuff. We got false teachers today who are celebrity pop icons who are in your Instagram feed every day talking to you these philosophical things and these true statements that are not the gospel whatsoever. And don't be deceived. They are influencing you. That's why people pay social media influencers. It's a reality. There are people, friendly faces who are in our workplaces or Neighborhoods, And I'm not trying to turn you against people. Listen, I love people. We are called to love people. 
But we're also called to test to make sure that what we're believing is truth. Popular personalities. And see, what happens is, the other thing you've got to know is, not only do they not introduce themselves as false teachers, but they will often acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, His death on the cross, claim to believe the truths that we believe, but they're adding to it. Or they're distorting it in some way or another. And Paul says, watch out! Be careful! Because... False teachers are not just kind of getting some things right and kind of getting some things wrong. No, they are perverting the gospel. And when you pervert the gospel, you desert the gospel. When you revise the gospel, you reject the gospel. And Paul is saying, be careful. Part of why gospel centrality is so important is the reality of deceiving messengers and messengers around us. And I will just tell you, we, we need to be sure that we're protecting our hearts and minds to believe that the only way to be right with God is about the grace that God gives through the work of Christ and that alone. There are many today who, in some hyper-religious circles as I've traveled, some of you grew up in churches like this, where they preach Jesus, but what it really was about was you dressing the right way, Showing up at church, checking off the checklist, making sure you were baptized, all of these things that are actually more important than just being in relationship with Jesus in their systems. This is a false gospel of religious works, even through the lens of preaching about Jesus. There are other churches today, some of you might have grown up in them, that are very more liberal minded churches, and they're more like, we just want to. You know, it's just about this good people. It's not about one religious system or one profession. It's just, you know, you'd be good. You know, just good people could be right with God. But that is a distortion of the gospel. It sounds all fuzzy-wuzzy and loving. But what it's saying is people's relationship with God is about their inherent goodness. And none of us are good enough to be right with God. And it also says to people that there are people that are so bad that they'll never have a chance with God. And that's contrary to the gospel because the gospel says you can be wicked and depraved and still saved and redeemed. See, it is only about the gospel of God's grace through the work of Christ alone. And when we begin to miss it, we end up missing everything. It's important, gospel centrality, because there are deceiving messages and messengers around us. 3B. Second reason it's important is the reality of eternity that is at stake. The reality of eternity that is at stake. That's why I had you circle the word accursed twice. Why does Paul use this language? Why? If anyone preaches different than what has been preached to you, let him be accursed. He says it again, let him be accursed. It's because eternity is at stake. Why it matters. Why are we so uncompromising about the gospel? Because life and death are at stake. That's why. Our relationship with God hinges on whether or not we hear and believe and receive and live in the gospel of grace. It's the only way that we have hope is if we get this right. He says, even if an angel comes down and preaches here in the room, don't believe him. It's different than what has been proclaimed to you in Christ. And this means that we've got to evaluate other gospels with such seriousness. We have to take this seriously in our own lives. Gospel centeredness. The gospel, the biblical gospel has to be the plumb line of judging truth. We do not rely more on our personal experience, our feelings or our convictions. We rely on the Bible. Let me say this again. We rely less on our personal feelings, convictions, and experiences. We, our reliance is on the Bible. And what the Bible says is true about the gospel. And we are uncompromising about this because so much is at stake. This is a matter of life or death. And one of the interesting things, I think, Paul says other gospels are a curse. And what he means is, listen. If you go to any, if you go outside of the gospel of Jesus, what you find in other religious systems are systems of anxiety, fear, and guilt. I've traveled the world all over, 
and works-based systems, anybody that doesn't truly know the grace of Jesus, they will experience anxiety, fear, and guilt. And part of this is the accursed nature that God has put on anything other than the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Third and finally, under this point, 3C. Some of you have been waiting for the word finally. (laughs) 3C. The third reason that gospel centrality is so important is the reality of God's worth. The reality of God's worth. So we've had the reality of deceiving messages and messengers, the reality of eternity at stake, and 3C, the reality of God's worth. Verse 10. Paul says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, what Paul says is, do you think this has been easier for me? See, I had my life made, Paul says. If I was trying to get man's approval for life to be easy... Do you think that I would have come to Christ? I mean, he was rising the religious works louder. He was lauded and celebrated. And when he converted, they came after him. After he knew Christ, after he started proclaiming the true gospel, life was hell for him. Persecuted, crushed at every side, hunted down. I mean, it was not easy. But Paul says, you know what? It's worth the trade. I'd rather have Jesus and everything go to pot in life than to be holding on to some false gospel and have everything in terms of this world. Does that make sense? What he's saying is worth, it's worth it. The true gospel is worth it. This is not about me. This is about knowing what is true and having a real relationship with God. And if it costs me everything to maintain gospel centrality, then so be it. Because I might lose everything in terms of this world, but I will gain everything in terms of Christ. So what really matters? It's worth it. Point three, the gospel must be central in our lives at any cost. 